0: The reason he postulates that human beings would never show up again on the evolutionary spectrum is because it was just a freak chance happening that we showed up in the first place. We're all products of chance and chance is fickle. It's unpredictable. No one can predict how chance will go. Because there's no designer, because there's no mastermind behind the evolving universe, because everything is just chance, then all things are possible and permissible, including rape and incest and genocide. No one can say these things are evil. Evolution makes no value judgments. It is survival of the fittest by any and all means, There can be no right, there can be no wrong. The Christian answer, of course, is that we obtain our ethical concepts from the God after whose image we have been copied. And Because God created the universe and those that inhabit it, he not only lays out the ground rules of conduct for mankind, but the consequences for those who ignore them. Look at verse 4 of our text. The word of the Lord is right and true. That's a categorical statement. Verse 18. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. So we need to say to the secularist who is devoted to chance and fate, you know what? Science is impossible in a worldview without design and predictability because the scientific method depends on predictability and consistency of function. Did you ever think of that? I mean, if these secularists really believed in their worldview assumption of chance, they would cease all study, all experiments... Because no outcome outcome could be designed or predicted. Knowledge would be impossible in a world of chance and fate. You'd never have any hope of discovering truth. It's just, you know, throw the dice. What comes, comes. Don't know what's coming. Fortunately for scientists, as well as for us, they function outside of their worldview. They function on the basis that if they do this, plus this, plus this, they're going to get this result. And they think that if they do it a hundred times, they'll get the same results. Because they don't function in our world on the basis that everything is just chance and fate and it's chaos and... It can happen. It cannot happen. No one can live that way. Number four. They believe the end of man, as with all matter, is extinction. You come. You live your life. You die. End of you. That's it. There was a talk show uh, discussion last night on death. And this very subject was brought up. And uh, someone said in the uh, discussion, we need not be concerned about the future because eventually we're going to all die. And when we die, that's it. That's it. Not to worry about anything from that point on. Remember, no soul, no spirit, if all is matter and only matter, when the body dies and decays, hey, that's it. You're gone. The atoms, the molecules, are simply absorbed into other things, soil, water, atmosphere, and so on. And that's that. There's no God, no creator, no judgment to come, no heaven, no hell, just nothingness, a return to the primeval soup, never to rise again. But you know, the Bible says this. Man is destined to die once, and after that, To face judgment. Hebrews 9 verse 27. Sounds to me like there's an afterlife. Or again, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. There is accountability because we are not products of chance, but of a creator, and we are soul as well as body. Number five, the secularist worldview believes that nothing is for sure. Nothing is for sure. He cannot even be sure that his own beliefs are true because all he knows or thinks he knows is subject to change. If all things are evolving, then truth is also evolving and what is true today may not be true tomorrow. Haven't you heard all that? This explains why we hear so much today about truth being relative, that is, based on the situation or situational ethics. People speak about their truth and your truth and what's true for you. And if it works for you, go for it. They talk this way because the underlying worldview is that no one can know anything for certain. We just model along the best we can, operating on what we think is the truth. But if later we discover that something isn't working, just abandon that truth and adopt the new. And we believers are viewed as arrogant when we say that we know the truth, we know what's right, we know what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, what's proper and what's improper. But they're saying, no, you can't know any of those things because just, you know, truth is what you make it yourself. Now, this kind of thinking about truth comes out of the secularist model. How do we know? The secularist, through trial and error, through the scientific model, what does he do? He postulates a theory. He runs his experiments a hundred times. If they come out the same way all hundred times, he says he has discovered truth. But some new discovery is sure to come along, which will disallow the old. And so the secularist just abandons the old and adopts the new. And this goes on all the time, folks. It's not just in the laboratory. Uh, Maybe you remember this. I remember this. Eggs are bad for you. Don't eat eggs. They're full of that bad stuff called cholesterol. You eat eggs, your arteries are going to clog up, and you are going to have a heart attack. So don't eat eggs. Now, (laughs) the latest is that bad cholesterol comes from an enzyme produced in the liver, and it has little to do or nothing to do with the cholesterol-rich foods that we eat. So egg is off the blacklist. We can eat them for breakfast every day if we like. Is this a new truth? I'll think. I'll put your thinking caps on. Is this a new truth or was it always the truth? Was the old theory on eggs truth or conjecture? If, in fact, the new theory is the truth, the simple fact is that the old theory was in error. It wasn't truth for 50 years. The secularist knowledge is always like this. It's based on trial and error. Discovery, theory, proving, accepting, or rejecting. But for the Christian... There is a whole wealth of knowledge which is just given to us by the all-knowing God, a God who does not have to go through the investigative techniques of trial and error to see if he's right in his conclusions. Look at verse 4. The word of the Lord is right and true. You see any ambiguity there? Next phrase, he is faithful in all he does. That is, no error, no retractions to, to make, no reconsiderations, no miscalculations, no reviews, no mistakes. His word is always true. His faithfulness is always there. The secularist, however, does not believe in God. So he has cut himself off from God's wisdom. He's lost in his own devices. He claims to be wise in himself, but they became fools. Paul writes, Romans 1 verse 22, and in verse 25 says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For a lie. That's why they don't have this wisdom. It's available, but they exchanged it for a lie. They know nothing for certain. It is all theory, all relative, all transitory, all indefinite, all hopeless. So they have to say I don't know. I don't know. Number 6. Secularists irrationally, they irrationally believe in their own kind of miracles. Remember we started out and we said they they do have faith. It's a faith system. Evolution is a faith system. It's just not faith in the right thing. Dr. Robert Morey has written a book called Death in the Afterlife. Great book. And he writes this summarization of the secularists. He writes that the secularists want us to believe that, quote, everything came from nothing, order from chaos, Harmony from discord, life from non-life, reason came from irrationality, personality came from non-personality, and morality came from amorality. That's unbelievable, but it's very true. He's summarizing. It is an astonishing worldview when you think about it. We Christians are mocked because our worldview includes a creator who designed and made the universe, but the secularists will not consider the miraculous nature of God's creative acts because he cannot investigate them through the scientific model. Yet we are asked to believe in an intricately ordered and designed universe without a designer. One evolutionist used. Um, a Corvette as his illustration of biological evolution. You all know what a Corvette is, don't you? That's Chevy's muscle car. You know, when We were growing up in the 60s. Boy, we all would like to have had a Corvette. We were running around a little Volkswagen. <laughs> but we wanted that muscle car. Now, here's what he says. The point is, he says, that the Corvette evolved. Through a selection process acting on variations that resulted in a series of transitional forms and an endpoint rather distinct from the starting point. A similar process shapes the evolution of organisms, your living things, you say. End quote. Well, that sounds nice. But didn't each and every design change on the Corvette come as the result of engineers installing their ideas on a company mock up? And then didn't each part that went into the Corvette have to be machined by a tool and die man trained in millwork? And didn't the parts have to be manufactured and installed by skilled tradesmen before the end product rolled off the assembly line? And what I'm saying is that the Corvette didn't just evolve. There was design, lots of design in it from start to finish. When we look at the intricacies of the universe, why then are we ridiculed for believing that such design, precision, and movement occurs because of a designer. Verse 6 of our text God's breath produced the starry host. Verse 7 He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. The Hebrew word is into heaps. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. He's saying it's a same thing to fear a God who can do this as he does. He spoke and it came to be, verse 9 of our text. Better fear this God. All he has to do is think the thought. Number seven. Secularists believe that life's purpose is to live for yourself. Just live for yourself. Why not? If this is life, if this life is all there is, if we're nothing more than animals who function according to nerve endings producing pain and pleasure, what's wrong with seeking pleasure above all else? Ethics do not come into play. If it feels good, do it. It's my body; I can do with it what I want. This philosophy that man is just an animal, and that this life is all there is has been used to justify everything from abortion to drug use to promiscuous living, even teen suicide. We have taught our kids that they are nothing more than animals. We should not be surprised that many try to prove it every day by the way they live. Self is all that counts. Nothing else matters. No community. No interaction. No relationship with one another. No obligation to one another. Just be yourself and live for yourself. Number eight. Salvation. And they do use this kind of terminology. But it's it's minus the spiritual overtones. You're going to save the race. They're not talking about you from their sins. Salvation is is by man's own achievements. The naturalist believes that man saves himself through education, law, science, technology, and so on. Such salvation does not consider such things as sins, forgiveness, transformation in Christ. Remember, there's no soul, there's no heaven, there's no hell. By salvation, the secularist means Personal and social betterment. Think of the push to find cures for cancer, the dropout rate for teens in high school, the problem of pollution in the environment, the ills of a corrupt political system, and so on and so on. These are the things which comprise the select the secularist idea of salvation. We need to correct the ills. we can save society from the ills. I don't know if any of you have ever read the Human Manifesto. It was originally constructed in 1933 and it was redone called Human Human Manifesto Number Two, it was redone in 1973. You can find it online at the AmericanHumanist.org, AmericanHumanist.org. It's an actual association of people that write this stuff. It's all philosophy. Well, here's what they write in Humanist Manifesto number two. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Now remember, they're not talking about sin or any of that. They're just talking about all the ills of society. How? Answer. Using technology... Here's here's their answer. Using technology wisely, we can control our environment, conquer poverty, markedly reduce disease, extend our lifespan, significantly modify behavior, alter the course of human evolution and cultural development, unlock vast new powers and provide humankind with unparalleled opportunity for achieving an abundant and meaningful life. Why would this be a goal of secularists since they believe that this life is without meaning and when one dies they just cease to be? seems to be the sooner we die, the faster we end our misery in a blighted world. But you see where their emphasis is. It's in the area of the social, geographical, pollution, political ills. Because man is in rebellion to God, so that's what he thinks salvation is all about. Well, we can, with technology, correct and eliminate the problem of the poor. You know what Jesus said about that? The poor you will always have with you. Mark 14, verse 7. And even in our technological America, with its abundant resources, we still have poor people living in squalor. And again, Jesus said, I am come that they, he's referring to his sheep, may have life and have it more abundantly. John 10 verse 10. The abundant life is not found in secular humanism, but in Christ. Real living begins when God is in the picture and Christ is the Savior, not men. Number nine, human life is expendable if one has a good reason for it. This will floor some of you, but think about this. The new strategy in the abortion battle on the pro-abortion side is not to deny, listen, not to deny that what is growing in a woman's womb is a human baby. That's the new strategy. This now they readily admit. Yeah, that's a baby in there. They could... Do little else. I mean, modern ultrasound has shown beyond all reasonable doubt that the blob or the product of conception rhetoric was nothing more than false propaganda promoted by the abortion industry. So now the abortionists and the Planned Parenthood gang have changed their tune. They now acknowledge the baby, but they say that now that the issue in abortion is not the baby, but the freedom of choice for a woman to have final say of her own reproductive abilities. You see the shift? We now abort babies if it is deemed good for the woman. To do so, the good of the woman supersedes the good of the child, and so abortions continue unabated. Does that sound like something diabolical? The devil is an expert at conniving and coming up with, okay, we're getting whipped over here. By the pro-life people, they got ultrasound and all these things to prove. Yeah, it's a baby that's in there. How can we do this? How can we change our philosophy so we can still do what we want to do? Oh, I know. We'll make it a woman's rights issue. It was always there, but now they brought that to the forefront. And baby in the womb moves to the back. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. The chilling truth is that any number of socially acceptable reasons are being used these days to justify the killing of human beings. Overpopulation, the high cost for care for the terminally ill, the pain and suffering of someone who may be ill, the age of a person. You're too old to contribute positively to society. So why don't you kick the bucket and make room for somebody else? Oh, you don't want to kick the bucket? We can help you. Hitler and men like him found good cause for systematically murdering over 6 million Jews and Stalin makes Hitler look like a saint in his genocide of over 60 million of his own people. And this Assad thing with Syria, he's already up to a hundred thousand of killing his own people in Syria. Well, God says this: all who hate me love death. Proverbs 8, verse 36. Jesus said that murderers have as their father, the devil, who was, quoting Jesus, a murderer from the beginning. John 8, verse 44. Don't say God is your father if you're involved in this. You have a father, all right, and it's the murderer, the devil himself. I have a film that I might bring and show it Sunday night. It's a very disturbing film, but it's on euthanasia, and it's on selective elimination of people in society that other people in society, the movers and shakers, don't believe are fit to live with us. And so they devised, have devised ways of eliminating them from our culture. And you'd be surprised, well maybe you wouldn't, of the money behind this and who's behind those kind of I'm thinking about it. Number 10. All lifestyles are normative or acceptable because because everything is relative. There are no absolutes. The secularists accept homosexuality, recreational sex, drunkenness, obsessive gambling, child molestation, pornography, all the things... That upset us, they accept them as normal, though just different lifestyles. Well, maybe I wouldn't be involved in that, but, you know, to each his own. You cannot use the word perversion. You cannot sit in judgment of others just because they see things differently. The social engineers don't much care if their traditional family survives or not. Engels, the Marxist, wrote this, quote, human society arose out of a troop of tree-clinging monkeys. End quote. His point, why should we care if societal regulations survive? Just let people live like they want to live. Why? Because everything is relative. End of discussion. Nothing you can say or do will make any difference in the end. We're just animals moving towards death and annihilation. So just live for the moment. Truth changes. What's wrong today will be right tomorrow. Don't speak of absolutes. There are none. All religions are right. All religions are right. All viewpoints should be respected. Except, except those worldviews, particularly Christianity which dare to stand with God and denounce sin. Here's where their um, magnanimous viewpoint, all viewpoints should be respected. That's where it falls down. Free speech belongs to the ACLU, but not to the Christian teacher in high school. Not to the pastor in the pulpit. Not to the believer in the workplace of daily life. And the secularist is absolutely sure (laughs) that we must be kept silent. See, that's one absolute he believes in. Well, I hope you can see from these ten characteristics of the secular worldview how it is impossible for your friends and neighbors to dismiss, how it is possible for them to dismiss what you have to say about God about sin, about the need of a Savior outside of man, the judgment to come, and the hope of heaven, and the dread of hell. Don't talk to us about these things, because they're all in a world of matter. It's all that counts, and when you die, you're done. You know, that was the Epicurean philosophy and Greek culture of Paul's day. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow what? We die. Just live for the moment, because... Tomorrow you're going to die and it won't make any difference. It's an old pagan philosophy still living today. None of these things bother people because they are asleep to their own spiritual nature and their own spiritual need. and The way in which the philosophy of the world and the culture has shaped their thinking. We were talking about in the adult class this morning how the world can sway us even as believers. We are told by the apostle, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's where we were. So he's saying, don't do that anymore. One translation reads, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12 verse 2. But alas, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. For we do preach our, we, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. And Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I say most emphatically, there is a day of reckoning coming coming. All mankind will be examined and judged on the basis of God's absolute truth, and of the arguments and defenses that men will raise. Our text says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations, verse ten. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purpose of his heart through all generation. Let me put it in the vernacular. God wins. The secularists lose. I want to be on the winning team. Don't you? Because guess what? This outcome is no game. You're either a humanist or you're a Christian, but you can't be both. Now, in closing, I want to go, I want you all to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 59, and we're going to read the first. <clears throat> 16 verses, Isaiah 59, and we're beginning at verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not short to save, nor his ears too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue muttered wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads his case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments and speak lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their egg will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They're swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are evil thoughts. Ruin and destruction mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one walks in them will know peace. So, justice is far from us. Righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like men without eyes. At midday we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We mourn more mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but we find none. For deliverance, but it's far away. For our offenses are many in your sight. And our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, fomenting oppression and revolt, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. And so justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. Brethren, doesn't that sound like our culture? Doesn't that sound like our society? This is what secular humanism produces. You say, Well, this is Israel is writing to. Yeah. But Israel had gone back into the world at this point in their history. They had forsaken God. They were in a state of rebellion, which he mentions there. And they're looking for the truth in all the wrong places. Our Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we need to be challenged by your word. We need to imbibe the truth of the Lord our God. And we need to shun the philosophies and the conclusions of our secular culture which is amoral. It doesn't have a morality because it doesn't seek after God. It wants to rewrite the book based upon man's own experience and loves and hates and so forth. So now we have people in our day saying, pornography's okay and child pornography, that's okay. We ought to be able to marry who we want, Let's not talk perversion. and Let's not talk against the next thing will be polygamy. And on and on it goes. Because man's heart, his sinful heart, is dictating actions. Forgive us, Lord. And help us understand that we are in this culture, but we don't need to be of it. In fact, we're not of it if we're truly God's children. And we need to stand for the truth of the gospel because these people are in a sea of darkness, as we read here. They're drowning in wickedness. We're rapidly moving towards the days of Noah, which you said would be the signal for the coming of Christ and the judgment to come. Lord, help us to get the word out. People are on the brink of such catastrophe yet obliviously, blindly going to destruction. Forgive us, Lord, for our own sins. Forgive us for those times when we have tried to maybe inculcate the philosophy of the world with the Christian philosophy and come up with some kind of an amalgamation. Help us to see that your truth, your word is truth and that all other theories, all other uh, proposals with regard to truth must bow the knee to God. You have preeminence. As we read today and study today, your word is always truth. You are always faithful. Save us, Lord, from ourselves. Save us from our sin and our wickedness and our rebellion. Grant to us a reprieve of judgment as you judge our sins in Christ and allow us, Lord, to see in Christ the great Savior of sinners. In Jesus' name we pray these things. For his glory we pray these things and our good. Amen.